You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to Life Community Church. We're glad that you're here. We say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. We have values that we strive to live that, out, that identity out. And so we say that we practice love with everyone always. We strive to do that. We give more than makes sense. We chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives. And we anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we're striving to be. Just a few things for you to know. Uh, number one is if you're involved with our children's ministry, there's going to be a meeting on October 4th after service. There'll be a lunch, and this is just going to get everybody on the same page. And so Brett and Jared are going to be there. We ask that you be there if you're involved with our children's ministry. Second is today we have a golf outing. And quite a few of you signed up if you're still interested in playing golf because you realize it's a great day out right now and you want to be outside uh, remember, your skill level does not matter. You can be terrible, because I'll be terrible, and we'll all come together and we'll play and we'll have fun. And then in that, with, with just that kind of uh, doing some things together as a church, I think this is exciting, actually, that we're doing announcements, for, because for so long we weren't doing anything. We just didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but uh, Tuesday, we're going to have a golf cart carpool or caravan. I can't say parade, because the street fair people will go nuts, like... We're having a parade. No, it's a, it's a caravan, okay? And so we've got like 40 golf carts. The Parks Department is in charge of that. They're going to go on a 45-minute little ride around the city and say hello to everybody. And we're going to provide some food over here. Some vendors are going to be here. So mark that on your calendar. It's going to start around 6 o'clock. You're welcome to be here. And then lastly, uh, we started the book of James last week. If you're looking for a little James Bible study that we had out there last week that everybody took. We've got some more on order this week. They'll be here. I promise they'll be here next week. I apologize for that. But we are starting what we call a 12-week challenge in the book of James. So what that is is that we believe that the Scriptures want to speak to us. We believe that as Christians that we should seek and be in the Word on a daily basis. And so for 12 weeks, we're challenging you to be in the book of James, reading the whole book of James, chapter five chapters in all, every single week, and really relishing in the practical wisdom that our brother James has for us. And so if you want to be a part of that, what we're saying is, hey, just text us. Text us the word James to our phone number here, and we'll send you some encouragement. I'll send you some commentary on the the studies that we're going through this week. And so we'll just send those out a couple times a week. We'd love for you to be a part of it. All right, well, let's head into the book of James. Uh, Last week we said, who is this guy, James? James, most... Every scholar believes that this is the half-brother of Jesus. He's got a different dad. Obviously, Joseph is James' father. Jesus, his father, is God himself. James is one of six siblings of Jesus, four brothers. They're half-brothers. And what we know about those half-brothers, and James included, is that they did not believe that their brother was the Messiah until after his death and resurrection. After Jesus' resurrection, he appears to 500, and there's a specific verse that says he intentionally went to James, his brother. 500 people and then to James. And so James comes to faith and he writes this magnificent word. And so what, what we take from that, uh, there's this tremendous value in the book of James because it's a skeptic, a brother, 
who came to believe that his brother was actually the son of God. James would be called James the, James the just because he is just the exonerate or the exemplification of Jesus' teachings in flesh. And so let's approach his word today, his letter that he sent out around AD 46 or so, and we'll read verses 1 through 8 together. James, a servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today and, and we just confess that there is wisdom and truth in this word. And so just help us to humble ourselves and bring ourselves under it. Lord, we confess that hardships and trials are not things that we invite into our life freely. And that, Lord, we do a lot to protect ourselves from those things. But, Lord, in this word today, you say that there's a joy in the midst of those things that's for our good. And so, Lord, we pray through the Spirit that you would throw that on our heart today, that you would move in our hearts in a way that we would see how trials and struggles and suffering produce good in all of us. And we pray this through our beloved Jesus. Amen. You know, it's said that suffering is the great equalizer amongst cultures, that, that suffering knows no bounds. Pain befalls on the rich and the poor, every gender, every race, every age. There's a mega popular musical out right now called Hamilton. I'm sure that many of you in here have watched it. And in there, the historical character Aaron Burr says these words. It says that life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. But we keep living anyways. We rise and we fall and we break and we make our mistakes. Now, you can be happy I didn't try to rap that, although I sort of almost wanted to. But in this room sits a collective group of people with different experiences, different per perspectives, different knowledge, all of whom bear the scars of trials and sufferings, past and present, scars that were hard. And whether we realize it or not, in this moment, those sufferings and those trials will be the most shaping element of good in our lives. A guy named Malcolm Mudgeridge was a British spy in World War II. He was a journalist. He's an author. He came to faith in Jesus. And he writes this as he looks back across his life, back on his experiences. He says these words, and I'm going to read them to you. He says, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. Mudgeridge is saying that as hard as those things were in his life, he sits today and says that I'm glad that they happened. You know, let's be honest, it's a shocking thing to read a scripture that says 
Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. Because the most natural thing in us is to protect ourselves from the hardships of life. We go to great lengths to protect ourselves from tragedy. But the Bible says that there is a joy that is present inside the trials of our lives. And so James writes this letter to Christians who are in dispersion, Christians who were persecuted and had to leave their homeland. This is well before the church really became the church. In this day that James is writing it, Christians are just assemblies. There's just small groups of people that would be uh, wherever Jewish people had settled, there would be a small group of Christians inside of that. And these people would have been persecuted and ripped apart for their faith by their own sect, by their own family. And James writes to these people, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. James is writing here to male leadership, so when he says, count it all joys, my brothers, he's not specifically addressing this truth to just men, but this is for every man and woman who would be scattered abroad across the earth both then and today. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials on this earth. Now, there is this wicked, evil, uh, perverse, I'll put as many negative adjectives in front of it as I can so you get the idea that this is blasphemous. There's a theology in this world that teaches that God does not want you to suffer. He wants you to be rich, that, that you need to claim your health and wealth, that God uh, does not want you to suffer or struggle in this world, but he wants you to be prosperous. It's a wicked belief that's shaped more by the American dream and greed than it is by the Bible. And what is interesting is that in these verses, in verses 5 through 8, this theology uses it to support their belief. And we'll get to there in a second. But seemingly those people are forgetting that James is writing to a people who in most areas would have been considered less than slaves. And he is saying, count it all joy. It is great joy in the midst of these trials. And so is James asking for this emotional discipline that when trials come in our life, both small annoyances and large tragedies, that we say, mm, that was good. Thank you, Lord, for that. Ouch. That really helps, Jesus. Thank you. Is he asking for us to just train ourselves emotionally to have hard things and go, yes, I'll have some more of that? No, that's not what James is advocating for. When we read the Scripture... We are, we, we are convinced that God's not asking us to reorient our emotions or, or to change our feelings in the midst of pain, but rather that inside of those pains and trials that we believe that there is a sovereign God who holds authority over all of it. This isn't about being happy during our trials. This is about being joyful, a joy that's connected to our hope and a belief that God loves me even in the midst of this season. And so, during the moments and seasons of our life where we feel alienated, disenfranchised, and unpopular, when tragedy and difficulty comes our way, it may seem that joy is completely irrational. But in Christ, it is perfectly rational. We remember Jesus in the words on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Solomon writes in his good wisdom in Ecclesiastes, it is better to spend time in the house of mourning than it is in the house of pleasure. The psalmist writes, we may weep for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We can have joy that we realize 
that all of life's hardships are on the authority of a sovereign God who has a purpose in all of them. Hard things are hard, and pain is real, and God is not asking you to deny those things. He's not wanting you to put a happy face on and pretend. He's not asking you in the hardships of your life to just quote cliches and say, God is good. He's not asking us to pretend. He's asking us to trust that in this broken world, that there is a purpose that goes far beyond your current circumstances, that the Lord is actually working for something greater in his kingdom. And he's actually present and working inside of all of those trials. That despite the hurt, there is a God that loves you and desperately wants you. And so count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we face trials of various kind. And James goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what James is saying is that there's a testing that happens to our faith in the midst of these trials. It's not a production of faith. It's a testing of faith, which means our trials don't necessarily produce faith. They simply reveal faith. And so consider it like this. Uh, If you would think of UV rays as trials and faith as sunscreen. Just as UV rays reveal whether or not you've put adequate sunscreen on on that day, trials in our life reveal genuine faith. And listen, it's not so that the Lord knows, because the Lord knows. We don't. Trials reveal to us what we really love and what we really trust in and what we really seek comfort in. And it's easy to sow in this conversation about God allowing trials in our lives, this idea of a puppet master God that's up in the sky just throwing things our way and saying, oh, I wonder how Kimberly's going to do with this today. Are we going to pass this test today? But that's not the God that we read about in Scripture. That's not the Jesus that we see in the gospel. We are reminded of the abundant, sustaining peace that we had with God before mankind was broken in the garden a creation that then and today chose to worship themselves over God. And in Genesis, we're reminded that we were kicked out of perfection, that we were kicked out of the garden. And despite the fact that we deserve rejection and hell, from that moment, our God has been working in creation to bring that creation back into itself by and through his love. God is rescuing us from our very selves. The problem is, is we're not so convinced that we need to be rescued. And as difficult as it is to say, and maybe as harder as it is to hear, it is a grief-filled grace from the Lord that he allows the forces of evil to work in a broken world that rejected him, that that creation might wake up and see how desperately they need him. And not just in the big things, but in the small things too. Trials of various kinds. And so God cares way more about your life than you believe he does. And he is present and active in way more activities and things in your life than you believe he is. Even the small things, those disagreements that you have with your family and your spouses, those things are there to reveal our faith, to reveal our hearts, to show us. And that is for our joy that we can see those things. 
Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, that God reveals our faith. He tests our faith through trials because for our own good. Because it's through those trials that we actually learn how to live. That we actually become what, we always want, what we've always wanted to be, to be like Christ. Those hardships are moments where we get to choose to be Christ-like. And this is known in nature, the value of, of trials and sufferings. Maybe you learned this in grade school, maybe not. Uh, but if y- you remember learning about butterflies and chrysalises and cocoons, okay, you would have learned that a butterfly has to break out of his chrysalis. And if you would come and rescue that butterfly in its struggle, just say, oh, that poor little butterfly, it needs some help, and you would break open the egg, you actually would destroy its life. Because it's in the hardship and the struggle of the butterfly getting itself out of the chrysalis that it soars in life. And so the Lord looks at his children, and he has a time-tested truth to reveal our faith through testing. And so trials are not a sign of God's displeasure. They're not. They are opportunities to persevere in the Lord. To persevere. Because in those moments, we get to actively endure. The word for steadfastness is hupomone, which means to actively endure endure. It's not waiting. I'm not just trying to survive. It's actively enduring that in the midst of that trial that I'm going to use it to become more like Jesus. And so I'm going to say, all right, Lord, what do I need to know in this? Where am I not serving you? Lord, where is my heart not fully satisfied in you? What are you trying to show me in the midst of this? Where am I not giving all of my life to you? I was reading an article about a father who was talking about a hardship that his first grader uh, had at the bus stop. They had bought, him, bought her a, a new coat. And this is what he, he wrote. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to write it. I'm going to read it. He said, we had intentionally bought our daughter's winter coat a size too large. And it was marvelous. It was blue. It was fluffy. It was a mock fur coat with gold buttons down the front. And the day after we bought it, a most unusual thing happened in California. It rained. And it was the perfect day to wear a coat. And he says, I'll never forget how she looked as she went out the door, dressed in red boots, her blue coat with gold buttons down the front, a little white knit hat and yellow yarn around her pigtails and a red umbrella. We were so proud of her. It did not matter that her coat was a little too long in the sleeves and a little too long in the hem. She was so happy when she walked out the door and down the driveway. And my wife and I stood behind the foggy window panes watching her go, And then two little friends approached her from down the street. And although I could not hear them, I saw one of them point at our daughter's hair, and I knew what she was saying. She was saying something like, your hair looks dumb. And then she pointed at the hem of my daughter's coat, and my temperature went up. The little girls marched off to school, and my daughter, Holly, trudged slowly behind them. And he wrote, I really wanted to set those little girls straight. But I knew that if I continued to step in whenever she experienced such difficulties, she might not develop fortitude and the staying power, qualities that she now has in abundance. Would we consider this father cruel? No. We wouldn't consider him cruel because we know his perspective, we know his heart. He could have rescued, and maybe we might have rescued them, but he didn't. Would we consider him to be unloving? We wouldn't consider him to be unloving. We might actually say this is the most loving thing that he could have done for his daughter. 
I think it's interesting that we see the value in hardships when we hear it from the Father's perspective. I'm sure Holly probably didn't have the same response. There is a value and a purpose for hardships. And they are known by our Father. And they're not necessarily known by us. You know, on a side note, in talking to many mental health counselors in this community, I would just say this. We have to be careful with our kids because there is a percentage of our kids today who are growing up with parents who, with all of their goodness, intentions, and their hearts, are rescuing our kids from the hardships of the life. And in it, we are finding a generation of people who cannot deal with the storms of life because we rob them of the opportunities to sit in the small ones and understand that, yes, the sun is going to come out tomorrow. And mercies will be renewed. There's a value to hardship in our life and our kids' lives. And as a Christian, we refuse to let suffering be wasted because we believe that there is something and someone that lies beyond our suffering that is actually capable of redeeming it for our joy and for his glory. And the purpose is for those trials and those events in our lives, those opportunities for growth aren't as we often want them to be in Christianity, that we would learn how to live our best life now. The hard things in our life aren't necessarily about us learning how to live our best life now, but rather, as James will write, that we would be prepared for the day of judgment. James writes a very Jewish phrase here. This idea of being perfect and complete would be... um, something that you would attach to an Old Testament sacrifice, that as you were going to give a a ram or a bull, that that sacrifice, if it was going to be given to the Lord, had to be perfect and complete. And so what James is saying, that the goal of trials and the production of steadfastness is that you would be prepared for the day that you would meet Jesus, that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But it just so happens, friends, that if we concern ourselves with living in the future kingdom of God someday, as if it were now, we will find a life that is flourishing here today. So trials can become an opportunity to be tested, opportunities to grow and mature, but they also become opportunities for us to grow massively in wisdom. Massively in wisdom. James says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. The book of James is considered to be like the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. James is distinctly Jewish in his language. He writes this before the church really becomes the church, before the Gentiles, which would be non-Jews, are really exploded in the church. And so these can be read as like these little, I call them nuggets of just goodness. And they seem to be detached from each other in some ways. But in these verses, there is a common thread that deals with trials. And James is saying that in the midst of those various trials in your life, like, do not fear coming to me and ask for wisdom. I give it generously. When it says reproach, God says, I do not despise. I do not resent those who come to me humbly and ask for wisdom. I want to give it to him. You know, we ask wisdom 
from a lot of different things. We ask perspective and wisdom from our family, our friends, from Facebook, from social media, from YouTube. But here the Lord is saying, no, no, I want you to ask me. I want you to ask me. The the psalmist writes writes in Proverbs 2. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom. And from out of the mouth, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's been said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart, but wisdom is the ability to put them back together. Our Lord, our God, is eternal. Never had a beginning, never had an end, is perfect. He loved us so much that he walked in our flesh. Not only did he walk in our flesh, he walked in our flesh perfectly. His wisdom is better than our wisdom. And the primary way that we heed and know his wisdom is by reading his word and praying through the Spirit. The Spirit and the word work in combination with each other. And so when we walk through trials, we are given an opportunity to humbly realize that, number one, I don't know what's going on. And number two, I don't see everything from every angle. I don't have perspective. And number three, it's not seasoned enough to have this kind of experience to know how to do this well. And so the trials have a tremendous way for it to to humble us and say to the Lord that, Lord, I don't know. I don't have the knowledge of what's going on. Lord, I can't judge this accurately because I don't have perspective. And Lord, I I I don't have the experience to know what to do here. But you do, Father. But you do, Lord. Help me walk in this season. And this verse says that the Lord gives liberally, generously his wisdom without despising. Ask him for wisdom. And James says, but let us ask him in faith. Here in verse 5, ask him in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his way. And so what is James writing here? What is he saying about faith? He's saying this, number one, when we ask, let us believe, fully convinced in our hearts that our Lord is good and he wants to give us good things. And number two, let us ask, believing that Jesus is the only thing that matters. Let us ask, really believing that Jesus, that God wants to give us good things and believing that he is the only thing that matters. James writes about the person who doesn't believe those things as a double-minded man. Or as a commentary writer, Adam Clark, puts it, a a person with two souls. And he says this, that the person of two souls has one for the earth and another for heaven who wishes to be secure in both worlds, that they will not give up the earth and they loathe to let go of heaven. James is saying this type of person is somebody who's tossed to and fro like the wind, the sea by its wind. And so is this the Lord saying like, you know, what if I don't get what I want? What if I asked God? And he, I come before and I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on in this. Here's what I need. Is this saying that, that if we come before him and, and we don't get what we want, how we want it, why we like, that we didn't have enough faith? Because that's how prosperity teachers use this passage. They'll say that the Lord didn't give you what you want. You don't have a new car because you didn't have enough faith. Or you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith. And so look, we, we, when we read scripture, we have to understand there's a complexity to our God's government and his rule. 
Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says in verse 45 that he makes, God himself makes the sun rise on the good and the evil and sends out rain on the just and the unjust. Look, the Lord has a governance that's about his plan and his way. It just so happens that if we have faith and if we endure with that hupomone, that, that act of endurance, that the Lord matures us in a way that we come to want the things that he wants. Maturing in faith is coming to surrender to the things that God wants. And so when the Lord says, ask me in faith, here's what it knows, that you in faith, as you read the word and you look at the world through the lens of Christ, you will want the things that God wants. And of course he's going to give you those things. Now, if we look at the world and say, I want a new car, and we're upset because God didn't give it to us, we can't say because you didn't have enough faith. Our God is not a genie (laughs) that can be wooed. He's not a cosmic slot machine. The The Lord is true to his purpose and his way. Does he reward the faithful? Absolutely. Take it to the bank. But does it mean that we always get what we want? No. You guys know that. We get what the Father wills. And for those who come in faith and ask by faith, as you're working to be matured in those seasons of trials, God gives us wisdom. God gives us wisdom. And so as I read through James, I'm reminded of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll, I'll conclude with this. And after you have suffered for a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm you, strengthen and establish you. The book of James reminds us, friends, that there are going to be seasons, inevitably seasons of suffering and trials in your life. And it's not because the Lord is displeased with you. And we can count it all joy because in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those sufferings, big or small, we believe that there's a sovereign God who has authority over them all, who's using them to fulfill and make his plans known on the earth. And so we can have joy because we have hope in a God that loves us. And in those seasons when we certainly lack knowledge and perspective and experience, we can come humbly before our Father and say, I don't know. You know, Lord. And we do that in a way that we have faith, trusting in the Lord, that he is good and he wants to give us good things and that we believe that Jesus is really the only thing that matters. We can say, count it all joy because we have Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you Humbly, uh, Lord, I know that there are people who are walking in seasons of hardship and difficulties right this moment, and it's painful and it's hard, and it doesn't feel like a gift, and it doesn't feel like a blessing, and for sure it doesn't feel like joy. But Lord, will you in this moment, will you remind us that it's not about our circumstances, that Lord, that you are a God that's above it all, and you're working to bring everything back, And as hard and as painful as this is, Lord, will you let us hope and trust that there is a better day ahead and that you will redeem it like you have everything in our life. And so we pray this humbly through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.